All right, so that's the announcement for this morning. A couple, that's all I got. So let's move into the message for this morning. We're in week three of our Wait For It series. Um, and, and I'm going to be honest, um, I don't do this on purpose. Please know this, um, but I've had somebody come up to me this morning, uh, and, and she probably is not going to be, I won't tell you who it is, but anyway, she came up to me this morning and she said, you know, your message uh, on this Wait For It, it's getting a little too close to home. Uh, I'm having to wait for some things. I'm not really happy about it. It's not easy and so on and so forth. So I was trying to think about it. It's like maybe I should come up with, you know, some, the next series, you know, basically like, you know, comfort or, you know, easy or, or something like that. The problem with that is that it may be tougher to find some scripture to go along with it. But it is kind of funny that uh, obviously sometimes what God will do is, is use a series or a message, of, uh, a message to kind of help us really in, in not just this moment, but in, in our lives to kind of really drive home what he wants us to understand and see. So again, we're in week three of our Wait For It series. I know it's um, not necessarily been an easy series to hear. I know that for me at least, um, waiting and, and being patient is not something I enjoy. And sometimes, you know, as much as we should wait on the Lord, sometimes I don't do that very well either. But at the same time, I know it's something that I need and I, I believe it's something that we all need. But this morning I want to start kind of with a question that I want you to think about. Um, I, some of you know this, some of you don't, but, but my brother-in-law and my father-in-law, no, brother-in-law, yeah, brother-in-law and father-in-law are both builders. They both build homes. Uh, and one of the things that I've always enjoyed doing, even when I was a kid and, and my parents maybe were building a home or something like that, I like to go in the process of the home being built. Like, I enjoy that. And, and, you know, it's not like, you know, oh, the basement. I mean, that's fine. But I like it when the frames start going up, okay? And so you can finally kind of walk through the home. And they're like, okay, there's, there's this is over here and this is over here and, and all these sort of things. They kind of begin to map it out a little bit. And so with that in mind, I have a question for you that I want you to think about and answer in your own mind. And that's simply this. What is your favorite room? What's your favorite room? Like, maybe in your house. Like, is there a room that you enjoy more than others? Maybe some of you, it's a bedroom. Or, or maybe for some of you, it's, it's maybe the bathroom. It's the only place you can find some peace or something like that. Maybe for some of you, it's the kitchen. You know, you walk in and you have this beautiful kitchen that you love. Or, or maybe the dining room. You know, you think about the dining room. I know that's not as common almost as it used to be. But, but what's your favorite room? Is it, maybe it's your bedroom. But I think all of us have a room that maybe we feel good in, we feel safe in. It's a room that we enjoy. I know like for some people, you know, it's like the big thing, I guess it's been several years ago now, but you know, like for a guy to have a man cave, you know, it's where, you know, here's, here's the definition of a man cave if you didn't know this, okay? A man cave defined is this, everything I want, but my wife doesn't want in, my ha in her house. That's where all the stuff goes. In the, either that or you have an office, you know. If you want to see what used to be in my apartment when I was single, that is now not in my home, it's in my, it's in my office. You know, I can take you through and show you all my things, you know, because I don't have a man cave. But that's kind of what this is, you know. It's like a, a favorite room. But, but here's a room probably none of you have thought about as far as a good room a room that you enjoy, but it's fact, it's probably a room that throughout your life you are going to spend years in. It's called a waiting room. None of us like the waiting room. But you know what I found? Most places have a waiting room. Now, I don't know about you. I, I'm, I, I'm not a big go-to-the-doctor guy. Like, I don't like that very much. Like, I'm not, I don't like the doctor. I don't like all those things. I don't like people poking me and prodding me and sticking things in my mouth and, and I just I don't like it but I have to go eventually at some times and I've learned a couple things about the waiting room from those experiences and we're going to kind of talk about them but before we get into those we need to kind of understand a little bit more about the waiting room that sometimes we are all in because here's the thing like when we think about the waiting game and we talk about the waiting on the Lord and things like that we have to understand that when we look at the gospels in a lot of ways, as you see the Gospels, you see a lot of people that were waiting for Jesus. They were waiting. They were in a waiting game. If you know anything about Jewish history, they were waiting for this guy that they called the Messiah to show up. They were excited about it. They looked forward to it. This was a really, really big deal. And so they were in this waiting period. 
If this will help you as you look at the Bible and the Old Testament versus the New Testament, that gap between basically the end of the old and starting the new, that it was there. And the whole nation, a lot was in like this waiting room, waiting for this person to show up. And amazingly, Jesus does, but when he does, a lot of people don't recognize him and they don't see him. We're going to start by kind of understanding this whole idea of the waiting room by looking in Scripture in Matthew 9. Now, Matthew 9 gives us a lot of different things, but really, Matthew 9 is the story of Matthew becoming a disciple. There's other things in there, but but we're going to really focus in on that. And this is interesting because Matthew is writing this about himself. So this is a first-hand account of a very important moment in Matthew's life. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. He was not a, a, a good guy, if that makes sense, especially in the ideas and the mindset of the Jewish people and the Roman people. So he was not liked, he was not loved, and, and he would be kind of hanging out every day in kind of his tax collector booth, and people would come to him and pay taxes and all these sort of things. But Matthew now is telling this story because it's very important to kind of understanding what we want to share this morning. So look at Matthew 9, we're going to start with verse number 9, and this is what it says. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. He says, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Verse number 10. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, listen to this, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Goodness gracious. Now let's, let's stop here and see what's happened, okay? Matthew is not liked. He's a tax collector. He's a traitor to his people is basically how they saw it. I'm not going to get into the details, but, but basically this is not a good situation. A lot of tax collectors would steal, and it was just not good. And so Jesus, this teacher, this rabbi, walks up to him, this guy that most everybody looks at is exactly like this Pharisee and sees nothing but scum, Nothing but a sinner. And says, follow me. Come be my disciple. Now again, I don't want to get into this. This is not what the message is about. But this is absolutely unheard of. This is just, I can't even, I, I, I was trying this week to come up with some kind of, like now kind of explanation for this. I couldn't come up with it. It's just unheard of. And Matthew immediately is like, I'm out. And he goes and follows Jesus. And not only does he follow him, but then he does something even more crazy for the time. He has a dinner prepared for Jesus and all his disciples. Now again, we have to remember, having dinner, eating with someone during this time in this culture, this was massive. This was, I accept this person. This is my friend. This is my relationship. This was big. And a Pharisee walks by and sees this and goes, what is going on? Why does your teacher do this? This is crazy. Why would he eat with people like this? Let's continue. Verse 12, we find our answer. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. Now listen, I love me some Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, there's times where things happen and people respond to people and it makes me angry. And I like that Jesus doesn't pull punches. You say, Aaron, why sometimes do you not pull punches? Because I follow my Jesus. Now he did it in love and I try to do it in love too, but you get what I'm saying here. Listen to what he says to this Pharisee. He says, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come To call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Whoa. Think about what Jesus just said. This Pharisee, now remember these Pharisees were like the elite of the religious world. You know, like talk about like the Old Testament, they had it memorized type of stuff. And Jesus looks at this guy and goes, man, you have completely missed it. Jesus has said, basically, listen, the reason I came, the reason I'm here, 
is for sick people. Listen, the church is never supposed to have been anything besides a hospital for people that need Jesus. And I need Jesus, and you need Jesus, and everybody on this planet needs Jesus. And it's scary to me that the one guy that should have known the best knew the least. The one guy who should have been the healthiest was actually the sickest. And because of Jesus coming, I can just see Matthew in that booth just waiting. What's going to happen? What's my life going to be like? Am I going to be despised my whole existence waiting on the Lord? Maybe he's trying to call out, God, I'm sorry. Should I have not done this? Should I have done that? I mean, just just turmoil. All these things that seem to happen when you're you're disliked and, and hated and going through a hard time. And he's sitting there, he's just waiting day after day after day. And finally, like he's in a waiting room, and finally... The door opens and basically something happens where Jesus comes out and just like if you were in a waiting room, you hear, he heard kind of these words, the doctor will see you now. And he went in to be with Jesus and he had dinner with Jesus. He began to allow Jesus to do some healing in his heart and in his life. And the man that needed it worst of all walked away still sick because he wasn't willing to wait on Jesus. He wasn't willing to let the doctor come and do the work in his heart and in his life that he needed. For some of us, waiting is so hard and we don't like to wait on the Lord so much that it blinds us, to be honest, with how sick we really are. When Jesus says, I want to invite you in. I want to sup with you. I want to have dinner with you. I have called you by name. Will you come in and let me make you well? So many of us walk around with spiritual sickness that we don't need to experience anymore. We can have the healing of Jesus. But you know what? It takes sometimes waiting to be called into the doctor's office. And sometimes that means waiting in a waiting room. And for some of us, we go, you know what? I don't want to wait. I'll do it on my own. I'll figure it out myself. And we leave and we go away. And what's scary about that is so many of us, whether we like to admit it or not, we get very, very critical of those who are willing to wait. We're just like that Pharisee. We basically have this type of response. Jesus, why Would you do something for people like that when you didn't do it for me? And Jesus' response to you is very simple. I'll do it for you, but sometimes you have to wait on me. Sometimes you're going to have to wait. You see, this is something you really need to get. It's in your notes. I need to get it too because it's so important. Listen, what makes the waiting room great is not who is there, but who everyone is waiting to see. That's what changes things. That's what makes the difference. That's why we should wait on the Lord. We should be like Matthew, sometimes sitting at that booth. Sometimes we're, we're, we're have, people call us stuff. Sometimes we go through hard moments and hard times. But you know what? If we'll wait, if we'll be where we need to be, God will at some point say, you know what? The doctor will see you now. And when Matthew got in the presence of Jesus, it changed everything in his life. Look at, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Lamentations 3, 25 and 26. This is what it says. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good. Now, again, I mentioned this earlier. I'm not a big go-to-the-doctor guy, but I've I've been kind of to the doctor in the last couple weeks. The last year or so, you know, I had to go um, get, a, get my eyes checked. You know, there was a waiting room uh, at the eye doctor. And, and then I had to go to the dermatologist. I had some, some stuff that had to be looked at and cut off. And I didn't like that. But, you know, I went to the doctor and had to sit in the waiting room. And you know what? I've learned some things about the waiting room. I've learned some things that I think that can apply to us 
as we look at the waiting room sometimes that we are in as we wait for Jesus. So let's, let's kind of, as we kind of bring this down this morning, let's look at that together. Was it what, what the waiting room can remind us as we wait on Jesus. Now I know all of you have been in waiting rooms. You've all experienced this, but these are some things that, that in my own experiences that have kind of reminded me of, of how the same thing is when we are sometimes waiting for Jesus to come and do what he needs to do in our hearts and our lives. So the first thing, the first thing we need to remember or remind us, there is a price to pay in the waiting room. There's a price to pay in the waiting room. Think about it. You go to, you know, depending on kind of your insurance and things like that, you go to the doctor, you go in and you walk in and there's usually a receptionist there and she's sitting there and she, you know, oh, do you have an appointment? Yes, I do. And, and basically, okay. And they start getting information. You have your insurance card and things like that. And sometimes when you do that, you hear these words, okay, sir, your copay is your copay. And a lot of places, you know, depending, like I said, on this doctor, the situation, they won't let you see the doctor till you're willing to pay the copay. I mean, I've been in doctor's offices where it literally says on a sign, you know, you know, you can't see the doctor until you're paid. And there's a price to be paid when you go sometimes sit in that waiting room. There's a price, you know, and here's the thing. We need to understand this. Jesus, his salvation is free, right? His mercy, his grace is free. But you know what? There is still a price to be paid, and Jesus told you what it was. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. There's a copay. Now, here's the deal. The copay, if it's right and good in our lives, the copay is a lot less than what the bill would be, isn't it? And you know what? In our Christian life, it's the same way. Jesus gave up everything for us. He paid the majority of the price. But you know what? There's still a copay that we need to pay. There's still something that we need to be willing to give up in the waiting room. There's still things that God desires for us to lay down for him. So in a lot of ways, the question is not, is there a price to pay? The question is, are you willing to pay the price to meet with Jesus? That's the question. That's the understanding we need to have. Are we willing to pay the price? In, in 2 Kings, there's a story that I've always loved. I've loved this story ever since I was a little kid. And, and in this story, we see an individual who had to decide whether he was willing to pay the price to meet with Jesus. And it's found in 2 Kings. It's a guy named Naaman. And Naaman, if you don't know, Naaman was a, a basically a commander of an army. He was in charge. The Bible calls him a mighty warrior. I mean, and it says early on in 2 Kings 5 that the Lord literally has, has empowered him and helped him to win battles and all these things. And so like, this guy is supposedly, you're hearing all these things, like this guy is like at the top of the world. But he has leprosy. Now, if you don't know, leprosy at this time was a death sentence and not a nice one. It was bad. So not all, this guy has all these things going for him, but he's got a disease that will eventually and painfully take his life. And so he hears basically through the story in 2 Kings. We're not going to get through all of this. We're just going to kind of go to one point. He hears about there being a prophet that maybe his God can help him. So let's pick up the story in 2 Kings 5. We're going to start looking at verse number 9 and 10. So this is what it says. It says, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out with him, to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. So I want you to think about this. This is a very important guy. This is a guy that is way up there. And he goes to this man, Elisha, and says, listen, I'm here. What do I need to do? I need some help. And Elisha doesn't even show up. Elisha sends a servant to him. I mean, you talk about being in a waiting room. Like the doctor, you know, I, I don't have time for you, basically. He doesn't even come out to see him. But he does give him an answer. He says, listen, if you'll go to the River Jordan and you'll dunk or wash yourself seven times, you'll be healed. Now, you would think at that moment, regardless of how it happens, 
that he would be overjoyed. I have a way of healing. I have a way of of having something restored in my heart. But look as the story goes on. Look at 2 Kings 5 starting now with verse 11. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Dumas and Abanan and Potphar better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Man, what's his response? Pride, arrogance, anger. Why has it got to be so hard? Why doesn't he? I love, I love this, 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 the, the way the scripture writes. He says basically, why doesn't, why doesn't Elisha just wave his hand? You know what wave his hand really signifies to me? Instant. Why does, it, why does it have to be so hard? Why do I have to go someplace and do this? Why do I have to dunk in this river? That river's dirty. I don't like it. He's a petulant child. Stomps his foot. Wouldn't come out and say hi. Dirty old river. Dirty old river. And you laugh and you go, oh, isn't that silly? Yeah, yeah. Until we realize that we act that way sometimes when God says the same thing. I mean, think about what's just happened. Like, literally think about it. He has the key to his complete and total healing. And he's mad that he has to go to a river he doesn't like. I mean, that's sometimes how blinded we can be when we refuse to sit in a waiting room. When we sit there and go, I don't want to wait. I'm too great to wait. I'm, how how dare you, God, ask me to do that? Listen, hear me. And I'm just being honest. I know this is sometimes in my own life. There are healings that God wants to do in your heart and in your life right now that is not happening because you just refuse to be obedient and just do what he's asked you to do. Let's continue on. So he's mad. He's upset. Why didn't it happen immediately? Why didn't didn't God just wave his hand over this area of my life? Let's continue. 2 Kings 5.13. This is interesting. But his officers. Now remember, he's the commander. He's the commander. So he's in charge. So these mean these guys are under him. Okay? His officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you, should, so you certainly should obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. We're going to continue on, Randy, in just a minute with verse number 14. So hold on. So his, these people under him say, listen, dude, if, if, he, if he would have said give me, give me 500 pieces of gold, you'd have done it. If, if he had said travel to to Egypt and climb a pyramid and stand up there for three days in the hot blazing sun and if you'll do you would have done it he says go and wash and be healed I love that because I don't know how how many people I've met in my life where I've, I've looked at them and said listen all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved and you go no that's too easy no that can't be enough I've done too many bad things you don't understand I'm like listen it's not about what you've done it's about the power of God in your life that can heal you And here's the thing, I've seen it over and over and over again. If God had looked at some people and said, listen, you have to lie on your face and crawl on your knees for 10 miles through broken glass. And if you do that, you'll show me that you love me. Then I'll save you. And you know what? There'll be people all over this world with scars all over their knees. But Jesus didn't. 
He said, listen, if you will just, listen, if you'll just let me wash your sins away, you can be made brand new. Brand new. It shows how much our God loves us. He says, listen, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. You do that, I'll save you. Scripture says, I'll wash you. Though your sin was like scarlet, I'll make it white as snow. Now let's continue on. Look at verse 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And look, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. You know what I love? I love that scripture doesn't just say he was healed. Because you know what I've found in my life? When Jesus does a healing work in my heart, he doesn't just heal the brokenness. He makes it better than it was before. This was an older man. God didn't say, you know what, I'm just going to take away the leprosy. He said, I'm going to make your skin better than what it was before you got leprosy. I'm going to make it like a young child. You know what? We have to understand, though. Naaman, was have, Naaman had to pay the price. Naaman had to pay the price. Now, here's the deal. The price that was going to be paid was paid by God and his power and his healing ability. That was the hard thing. But there was still a man who had to humble himself. There was still a man who had to put his pride aside. There was still a man who had to be willing to go to a dirty river, dunk himself seven times. There was a copay to pay. And when he paid it, God took care of the rest. There's a price you're going to have to pay in the waiting room. And some of you, you are not seeing yourself get the healing or the work or whatever God needs to do in your heart and your life. Because you don't think you have to be uh, someone that pays that price. You do. And again, Jesus paid the majority of it. But there's still a price to pay. Maybe for some of you, it is obedience. Maybe for some of you, it's forgiveness. You haven't forgiven somebody. I don't know what your price is. But I know there is a price to pay in the waiting room. Number two. Number two. There are other people in the waiting room. I have never been in a waiting room. That was made for one person. Never once. Now, I've been in the waiting room alone, but it was never designed. You know, the, the architect didn't say, let's make this waiting room for one. Never once. You know how I know that? There's more than one chair. It's a bigger room. There are more than one magazine. And, and they're all different kinds. You know, I don't need, you know, much magazines. You know, I don't think I even have magazines anymore. But, you know, when I was a kid... You know, there were magazines I was interested in, like Sports Illustrated for Kids. And there were magazines I was not interested in. Time Magazine. I thought that was weird. Because they weren't, it wasn't just there for me. There were other people in the waiting room. You need to realize that. Sometimes we get so absorbed with our situation and waiting on the Lord that we forget there are other people with us. There are other people also waiting there for Jesus. Look, we, we talked about this last week, but let's go back to this verse. I didn't bring this up on purpose because I knew we were going to bring it up this week. Isaiah 40, 31. We talked about this last week in, in the beginning of our message, but, but we need to look at something here. Isaiah 40, 31. We're going to look at just the first part of this verse, okay? It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And we talked about, you know, the, the benefits and all those sort of things last week, but you need to understand something about that word, Wait. When you go back and look at the original Hebrew, that word wait is an active verb. It's not a passive verb. It is not basically this. Listen, if your idea of waiting on God is this, I know you may not see me, who cares, because I don't, I'm not much to look at people online, but this is not the idea of the word wait in the original Hebrew. God bless you. Just waiting on the Lord. Just sitting here, just waiting. That's not it. That's not it. The idea 
is basically, if this will help you, the same idea that if we didn't have a picnic today and you went out to a restaurant, you went down and sat down, some person would walk up to you, hopefully sooner than later, and he would say, hello, my name is Joe, or hello, my name is Sally, and says, I am your waiter. We don't always use that word now. In fact, we use maybe even a better one. We use the word server. I'm your server. The word that we see is really very understandable in the way that we use the word waiter. Someone that serves. Someone who is busy taking care of other people. When God has looked at you and said, I want you to wait on me. He is not saying, sit down and wait for me to do something. He is saying, I want you to be actively waiting on everyone else who happens to be in the room with you. Instead of looking at it going, God, I'm just so focused on my need, what God is morally wanting us to ask is, yes, God, I have a need. And yes, God, I'm waiting on you. But while I'm here, what can I do for you? What, what, what can I, how can I serve you? Not waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord, not doing anything. Hey, can you help with this? I, sorry, I can't, I can't do that. I'm waiting on the Lord. No. Listen, I've said this before. If you have a need, then find someone's others to meet their need in the process. That's what this means. To wait on the Lord means to be active. It means to not just sit and do nothing, but to say, how can I serve those that are in the waiting room with me? I remember when I was in high school, I, again, I don't like to go to the doctor. And I'd gotten to that point where I was old enough to go by myself, you know? Like I didn't need mom and dad, you know? And we had the same doctor throughout my whole childhood. His name Dr. Miller. Love Dr. Miller. And I remember going to the, the, uh, the waiting room and this waiting room was different than any that I'd ever seen. I don't think they do it anymore. But they had one room that was kind of open to the whole group. And then they had these two smaller rooms. And they had toys in them. And one was labeled well children. And one was labeled sick children. And it made sense. You know, it's like you don't want to mix the kids up. If there's a kid that's sick there to see the doctor, you know, it's like they don't want to get the kids sick. And I remember I was there. I was waiting for to get some blood drawn or something weird. And I look in to the sick room. And there's this little boy. And he's sick. I mean, you can just tell, you know, you see a little kid. He's snotting everywhere. He's, he's not doing well. And I just felt like the Lord, it's the weirdest thing. I just felt like the Lord said, would you, would you just go love on that kid? I'm like, God, I can't. Because he's in the sick room. I'll get in trouble. I may get sick. And it was like God said, will you go just love on that kid? I'm like, God, this, we, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm like 17 years old. This kid's like eight. I mean, his mom's going to call the police. I'm, will you just go and love on that kid? Okay. I walk in, I sit down. Hi, I'm Aaron. What's your name? Joey. You sick? Yep. You know, I mean, just, every, you know, just think of every, it was just as bad as you could think about it. Snotting everywhere. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I just, I said, you know, Joey, do, do, you know do you know who Jesus is? Heard of him. I said, well, listen, I'm sorry you're feeling bad. And I think Jesus wants to heal you. So can I pray for you? Because Jesus loves you very, very much. And I believe he asked me to come talk to you. I mean, this kid's eyes got as big as silver dollars. I said, you know that, that Jesus loves you. And he stopped. He said, he said, he said does, does Jesus have a dad? I said, yeah, Jesus has a dad. 
See, Jesus calls him Father, and we, we, God can be our Father too. And I mean, you would have thought I had hit that kid with a two-by-four. And he looked at me, and he just started crying. And he said, last week, my daddy left. And at that point, I didn't care if I got sick. And I put my arm around him. I said, well, you know what, Joey? God can be a father to you. And we prayed. I don't know what happened to Joey. I, I believe deep down in my heart that one day I'll see Joey in heaven. I don't know. And I walked out. There are people in the waiting room that God has specifically placed there. And you know what? Too many times we miss it because we're so focused on our own need or why we're there to see the doctor that we miss that God has great things for us to do while we're waiting. Look at Matthew 25. This is one of those verses that scares me, but it also encourages me at the same time. Look what Jesus says. He says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Verse number 37. He says, then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus answers in verse number 40. And he says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You are not in the waiting room on accident. You are not in the waiting room alone. And for some of you, God is going to call, is going to call you in to see Jesus and meet that need, but he's not going to do it until you realize there's someone there that you need to meet a need of first. That God is using you and desires you to do that. Listen, this is important. We need to learn, and it is something that we learn, to be great waiters while we are in the waiting room. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Yes, I know I'm waiting on the Lord too, but you know what? I'm not going to wait and passively do it. I'm going to be active for my Jesus, and I'm going to meet needs while I'm here, and let the Lord use me. You're not alone. Number three, the last one. There is work that is done in the waiting room. There is work that is done in the waiting room. Now, remember, I, I you know, said it earlier, I went to... Um, uh, you know, dermatologist and went to an eye doctor. I'd been to the dermatologist before, but the eye doctor was brand new. So I walk in, I give my the information, and they, then they basically say, uh, they hand me like a phone book, and they say, will you fill this out? You know, and I'm, I'm not, my handwriting isn't very good. Like normally if Emily's with me at the, at the doctor's, I, I, I usually hand it to her, you know, mainly because I'm lazy and also so they can read it. I mean, there, it is two reasons here, you know. But I sat down, I got this, you know, it's asking, you know, have you ever had this? Have you ever had that? Have you ever, you know, have you ever had your leg cut off? I mean, just all the stuff, you know, nothing to do with my eyeballs, you know. And I'm sitting there and I'm working and I'm going, I don't know, you know. And then you're afraid, like you're going to put the wrong thing and you're going to go blind, you know, because you didn't check the box that said, if we do this to your eye, you know. And I'm saying, oh, what so you're sitting there, you're working and you're trying to figure it all out. And then you, you have it. And then it's like you've just been, you know, you're bringing it up to the teacher, you know, to grade your test. You, like, hand it, and you're like, there you go. It's all, it's all, it's all correct. Please, trust me, it's, it's all correct, you know. And you didn't even get your Social Security number right. You know what I mean? There's work to be done. You don't just go and sit. You, there's some work that, that, that you need to do. And that's the truth when it comes to us and God. There's work that he wants to do in us, but there's work that we have to take part in. There's some times where God's going to come up to you, if this makes sense, and say, listen, I need you to fill out this. It's called paperwork. Listen, in our world where we try everything to make things sound more pleasant, we still have not come up with a better word for paperwork that I've heard of. Maybe, maybe, maybe no, please fill out these forms. And I'm like, oh, forms isn't any better. 
Forms sterile. I don't like forms. But there's work that has to be done. There's some things that we have to do in the waiting room to prepare, to make sure that everything is ready. But not only is there work that we have to do, there's work that God needs to do. And unfortunately, here's, Tim, here's what can happen, spiritually speaking, if we're not careful. We in the waiting room try to self-diagnose, self-diagnose ourselves. What do we do? First of all, we never want to go to the doctor. Why? WebMD. Josh, you know what that's like? That's like your car breaks down and you go to a website that basically says, yep, your car's broke down. How to fix it? Nope, don't know how to fix it. How to drive it? Nope, 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 nope. And I love WebMD because you know what it usually eventually says? Go to the doctor. It's like, why don't we just start with that? Step one, you know, like, you know, you have a temperature of 107. Just go to the doctor. But no, it's like, we got to make sure. What are my symptoms here? You know? There are certain things that, that only the doctor can do. And we need to understand that. Listen, this is a great verse. Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Sometimes in the waiting room, yeah, there's some paperwork that needs to be done. And other times, God just says, Aaron, I just need you to be still and let me do what needs to happen in your life. Some of the greatest work God does, in, does is in the waiting room of our lives. But it happens when we become still before the Lord. Yes, there are times where we're serving. Yes, there are times as we're waiting. It's an active verb, blah, 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 blah. And there are other times where God says, you need to be still. And let me do this. You need to be still in my presence. You need to be still in those things. But here's the deal. I want to encourage you that, that, that that's not the only work that is being done. Okay? Every waiting room I've been in has the same basic concept. There is basically an area which is the holding pen. The waiting room. And there's a door. There's a door. And behind that door is the doctor. Behind that door maybe is nurses and all these types of people. And here's what I've come to learn about a good doctor. A good doctor is not sitting behind the door twiddling his thumbs or her thumbs doing nothing. A doctor is working. A doctor is preparing. Maybe the nurse is getting the room ready. Maybe the doctor is going over your charts. Maybe, maybe he's helping or she's helping others. Regardless, behind the door, work is going on. And you know what I found in my own life? Sometimes when I'm in the waiting room, I forget that Jesus is still working. I haven't gone in to see him yet. I haven't had someone open the door and say, Nash, Aaron, the doctor will see you now. But I've learned to trust the doctor is still about his business. He or she is still working. They're still doing these things. Listen, just because you can't see the doctor working doesn't mean he isn't working behind the door. For so many of you, you've been waiting and waiting and you've done all these things and you go, God, what's going on? God, why haven't you called me? Why haven't you asked me? Why haven't you done this? Why Listen, he's still working in your life. He's still interceding on your behalf. He's still doing something. Even though you can't see behind the door, the doctor is still working. This is an amazing verse. It's in John 13, 7. Jesus replies, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. Listen, you may not understand what God is doing now, but someday, maybe in this life or maybe in the next, you will. 
But one thing that we know is he's working. One thing that we can trust is he is still moving everything around for your benefit and for your good. One thing that we know is that all things work together for good. Well, who do you think brings them all together for your good? Sometimes we don't always see it immediately. But for some of you, you need to truly understand this this morning. The doctor is still working. He's putting it all together. And I don't know when, because I'm not the doctor, but one day, he, the door is going to open and your name is going to be called. And you're going to come in and meet with the doctor. And that need that you've been waiting on, that miracle that you've been asking for, it will take place. But there's a waiting room. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, let's close. For some of us, we talked earlier about our favorite rooms and, and the waiting room would never be on our top of our list. I don't like them either. But it's amazing what we can learn about Jesus, the great physician, from things in our lives. It's interesting because that's kind of what Jesus did. He, he told parables that people understood because of the life they lived. He told us parables about weddings and, and fishing and, and servants and money and all these sorts of things. People understood that. And it's just, it's just like Jesus, that today he would use a parable of going to a waiting room physically to remind us of some of the spiritual waiting rooms that we are in. And for some of us, we needed to be reminded of those things. We needed to have God say, you know what? I get it. This is a waiting room, but, but listen, you haven't paid your copay yet. For some of us, it's, you know, I know you're waiting, but there's some needs of some people in the waiting room that I have called you to help me meet. Thank you, Jesus. For some of us, we need to be doing some work. For some of us, we need to let God do the work. And for some of us, we need to be reminded that the work is going on behind the door. I don't know where you're at this morning. But listen, if you are waiting, I'm going to wager a guess that if you're in the waiting room, one of those things is exactly where you're at this morning. I just, I just feel like that's just what God's saying. And if you say, you know, Aaron, I'm not in a waiting room time right now. I'm not in a waiting on the Lord season. That's great. But I promise you, you will. And when you do, I bet you one of these things will come up. And so if you're in that moment right now, I just want to encourage you that you know what? You're where you need to be. Yeah, I know it's not fun in the waiting room. But the worst thing you could do is do what the Pharisee did, which is instead of entering into the room where Jesus was to wait on him, to let the change take place, he walked away disgusted. Instead of Matthew and his, his friends waiting on Jesus, spending time with him, and letting the great physician heal every part of who they are. No matter what you're waiting on, no matter what you are praying for, no matter the miracle that you need, I believe very strongly that soon the door is going to open and you'll hear the doctor will see you now. But we've got to make sure 
that while we're in the waiting room, we don't forget the plan and the purpose of that room and let God do in us what he needs to do. So as we pray, as we close, whatever, if you're in that waiting season, whatever you feel like the Holy Spirit just kind of pointed at and shown you, I, I just ask that you would just, just give that over to the Lord, that you would just begin to pray, call out to Him, and let Him help you in that area, in that waiting season. And if you're not, if you're not in a waiting season, that you would pray that God would prepare you for the next one, because it's coming. Remember, it's good to wait on the Lord. So, Father, we come to you this morning and we do thank you for this time. We thank you for, even though they're hard, even though we don't necessarily like them a lot, we thank you for the waiting room seasons in our lives. We thank you for the time where we stop and we say, you know what, I'm going to wait on the Lord in this area, in this place. I'm not going to rush forward. I'm not going to try to do it on my own. I'm not going to force God's hand and, and end up in a mess. No, God, I'm just going to wait on you. I'm gonna, I know that you are the great physician, that only you can bring healing to these areas of my heart and my life. And so I'm going to wait on you to do those things. And in that process, I'm going to pay the copay. I'm going to look for people to serve and, and love. I'm going I'm to be willing to do the work that I need to do and let you do the work that you need to do and trust that that's going on. God, help me. So that the season of waiting would be what you intend it to be, not a curse, but a blessing. We love you, and we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for always meeting us and meeting our needs, not when we think they should be met, but when you do. You know best, and we trust you. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, listen. Um, you know, now, now, hopefully, you know, hopefully it's not for a while. But whenever you go to a physical waiting room, um, you'll remember this message, <laughs> and hopefully it'll make it a little less um, hard to wait for the earthly doctor. But just know that that God definitely has a great plan for you, and He's going to use this season to really bring that about okay so listen thank you for being here this morning i love you for those that are online and we love you we thank you so much for being with us we're gonna kind of close up shop here and and head to the picnic and have a great time so again everybody's welcome please come share uh some time with us and some fellowship i love you and we'll see you at the picnic <laughs>